You are listening to the Painted Goddess Podcast with Jennifer Hirshu. This is episode number 88, take two. Well, this, this is new territory. Hello, witches. This is Jennifer. I'm the founder of Painted Goddess and the host of this podcast in which yesterday was published without a large portion of the content. And um, (laughs) so if you're listening to this, the first half, I am... um, going to just speak a bit about the cosmic weather and a few other pieces, including what it's like, I think, to consider the world through the polarity therapy of astrology, which I know polarity therapy is a thing um, in the New Age community. Um, However, through astrology, I've come to see it very differently at any rate. Listen, yesterday I recorded this podcast in the first place and it did, it just like did not record. I had my headphones in, I was using my desktop. I should know better and yet I don't than to use new technology for tried and true processes. Excuse me. It's early. I haven't had all my coffee. Uh, tried and true processes to to either record this podcast to create content in some way. It's so funny that I would choose to do that during a Mercury retrograde in my ninth house, which is the house of fruition, the house of patiently waiting, kind of holding space for the beauty that is something finally coming to culmination. When I think about uh, our my my recent history with Mercury retrograde, I feel very blessed. I feel like I do not have not truly been affected too harshly by these transits. So much so that, um, you know, I've been able to do some really good reflective work, redirective work, um, and started to reimagine parts of my psyche, especially, you know, Mercury retrogrades really do help you to review your brain. You know, it's like, what is my brain like right now? What kind of a place is it to be? Right? You're the only one who has to be in there 24 seven, it hopefully is a place of solace and and goodness. uh, Best it can be right. Um, And I just have noticed during this retrograde, how my thoughts tend towards um, anxiety, and, you know, kind of spiraling thoughts around, am I good enough? What am I doing? Um, all of that. And I know these are just like thoughts, right? One of the things that I've learned uh, through self-inquiry and through self-help and particularly <clears throat> Byron Katie's work and Eckhart Tolle's work Um, but is that my brain's just producing thoughts. This is what my brain does. And 
I don't need to react to them as if they're powerful or true. I can just notice, oh, that's a, that's a thought I'm having. Okay. And maybe say, um, this isn't a true thought. This is just a production of anxiety or a production of, you know, worry that, um, things are not going to work out. This is, it's certainly, um, you know, very human to turn unknown factors into worries and to-do lists and to suffer over some of the details. I certainly have tried to um, work with those thoughts, right? And I really do mean tried to work with those thoughts, right? Like, because I can't say... Like I'm very, I'm a very word oriented, affirmational person. Best I can, I use the best language possible to describe a situation. I would not often say try and then not reframe that into doing, being, um, willingness or, or some word that feels very affirmative. <clears throat> but in this instance, I do try to work with those thoughts. Some of those thoughts are just assholes. And some of those thoughts are very old and ingrained. And some of those thoughts have nothing to do with me, right? They're not even my thoughts. They were given to me by somebody else or the patriarchal, white, hetero, racist, systemic oppression system. And, and all it is is crap. And, and I don't have to actually um, work with those thoughts is in, in as much as just saying like, you're not, you don't belong here. You're not welcome here. Um, and okay. So a couple weeks ago, I made a podcast episode talking about books. I did that, um, you know, kind of on the fly. I've acquired a ton of books this winter. I've been reading I've been, of course, reading um, this time of year uh, more than I, it's just, of course, we do that. This is the time of year to sit and read. Although as a book um, lover, it's always a good time to read, but it always seems like winter affords me more time to read because the weather doesn't call me outside to do gardening as often. So when I started to just basically magnetize these books to me. Um, some of them came through used booksellers. Some of them were just like suggestions by other witches. Some of them are books that I had rented, borrowed on my library app, and I was just taken by them and was like, I need to have these as references, like having read them is not enough. Some of the material in books, I mean, it's like for novels and, and that kind of thing, it's like you can kind of read it and maybe, maybe you get it and you have it in real copy because it's like, oh, I want to read it again and again, right? <clears throat> Although I'm not one to read over read. Um, I know some friends of mine read like novels like however many times. That's usually not something I do. There's a few books I've done that too. One of them being The Red Tent. I've probably read The Red Tent like seven times. Um, but... <laughs> oh, excuse me. That was brewing for a while. I don't edit things, so if you're new here, you get to hear me sniffle and sneeze um, if that's what's happening. 
There must be some dust on my desk. Um, at any rate, I, so, so I, I did a little bit of a bibliomancy where I open it to a page and, um, read from those books. And even since I did that episode two weeks ago, I've acquired three more books. <laughs> so here's, here's to seasons of the books, um, season of the witch books. And, um, as just a little bit of astrological weather wisdom this week, of course, we have Mercury still in retrograde, um, in the sign of Aquarius. There are, um, some really cool, um, so today as I record this, it's the fourth and, um, <clears throat> yeah, so essentially what's happening, I mean, we've got this third quarter moon, we're moving towards the new moon, right? New moon is next week. And this is a fixed moon cycle. A fixed moon cycle helps us to ground and solidify our intentions, as well as to work pretty hard. Um, it deepens our awareness, it calls in resources and I think it really solidifies and helps to help with intimacy and creativity. And and that fixed cycle as it quarters out, right, as it hits that last square um, in Scorpio today, as I record this on the 4th of February, um, we've also got the moon in a trine to Neptune in Pisces, right, because it's that water sign element. When you have planets in water signs, they're trining, essentially. You can have this variation, but the moon moves pretty quickly through degrees. So, um, and then Juno is in Sagittarius opposing, um, uh, conjunct the south node and um, opposing the north node. Now, I think when we talk about oppositions, Okay, in astrology, oppositions mean that something is opposite something else. And when you look at the astrological wheel, it's easy to just kind of see it as this wheel. But there's a genius to it that once you start to learn astrology, it starts to unlock these patterns that are inside of patterns. And there's several different patterns in the astrological wheel. One of those patterns is the elemental pattern. If you were to start at nine o'clock and go counterclockwise, which is the direction that the astrological wheel goes, you would find that you start at Aries and you would end at Pisces. And that's, um, you know, so Aries being the first sign. If you start there and you follow an elemental pattern, fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water, three times to add up to 12 signs, you would be able to say what each sign's elemental association is. There's that pattern. There's also the pattern of the qualities. We have cardinal, fixed, and mutable qualities. Cardinal points in the astrological wheel are the quarter holidays in the witch's Sabbath, in the pagan wheel of the year. 
zero degrees Aquarius, which is the cardinal sign, zero degrees Cancer, which is the cardinal water sign, zero degrees uh, Libra, which is the cardinal air sign, and zero degrees Capricorn, which is the cardinal earth sign. When I started to play with those associations melding together, everything locked into place for me. So, you know, I've been a practicing astrologer for a really long time, um, you know, reading when I was in college, reading for it's like parlor tricks, basically. Parlor means something completely different now, by the way, but um, party tricks, we'll call them party tricks. Um, and I would, of course, entertain myself and also help myself understand people who frustrated me <laughs> or whatever. But as a practicing witch and reading, you know, reading Starhawk's book way back in the day was like the seed of it when I was 20. And when I reinvigorated my practice um, three years ago, when I was just like, I'm going all in on on my witchiness. I'm not going to act like these times of year are, you know, I just stopped. I started calling Easter Ostara, even though, to be honest, Easter and Ostara are different things because of the way that, um, you know, Ostara is actually the first day of spring. It's celebrated in an astrological date, right? Ostara is the first day of spring. It's that zero degrees Aries. It's that fire sign. Anyways, I digress quite a bit because I just can't stop talking about how Christianity stole our... <laughs> <laughs> you know, co-opted all of the pagan holidays and then whatever. So I'll let it go eventually, maybe. But the qualities in its cardinal fixed mutable, those are three qualities. So it goes four times if you go through those quarters of that whole 360, right? There's three houses three signs in each quadrant of the basic wheel and those go cardinal fixed mutable so if you slice this pie this astrological pie in quarters you're gonna find the four quarters the four cardinal signs it lines up to the four seasons of the year this is how western astrology works it's actually quite simple once you start to to understand the patterns <laughs> Now, of course, there's so many complexities and we go down the rabbit holes so often um, pretty quickly once we get that basic stuff down. But then here's the here's the part of it. After understanding the patterns of there's the signs and their associations with the elements and the qualities and the yin yang charge and all of the things that make the signs and their planetary rulers have kind of personalities or feelings, signatures. When we start to put them into relationship with each other, this is when it gets, I think, pretty interesting. And oppositions sound contrary, right? Yes, they are. It sounds like maybe they're hard to deal with. And, you know, when I read in some books, they emphasize 
that oppositions are kind of challenging aspects, right? Oppositions and squares are seen as challenging aspects. But to me, opposing opposite um, asp oppositions are, it's the same as, you know, flipping a coin over. They're on the same axis. They have the same goal. And I don't remember where I read this way back in the day, way, way back in the day. It's probably, I have like the old school Parker, the complete astrologer uh, by McGraw-Hill. It's like some like crazy old textbook that's got lots of 70s drawings in it. It was in my grandmother's attic along with the others. And, um, but I don't, I don't think that that's it, but, uh, my, my, like the thing that stuck with me, cause I'm a Virgo son and I have a lot of Pisces friends and that's the polar opposite, right? That's the polarity. When we say polar opposite, polarity and it's across the wheel. And I read that, and this will just, it just sticks with me, that Pisces and, and Virgo, they have the same goal, right? Their goal is the same. It's just that Pisces are the dreamers of how that aim of service, integration, spiritual transformation, you know, devotion, how those signs get that work done, right? And arguably they need each other. Virgo can tend to be a little too detail-oriented and critical, sometimes resulting in paralysis or decision paralysis, and Pisces couldn't be further from that for the most part, right? Its visions are fluid and always changing. So in some ways, they have a hard time grounding their visions because they like to have it in the ether, right? It's perfect in the ether, right? <laughs> this is what Virgos know, too, to some degree. And they see the Pisces having their dreams and they're like, well, let's... You know, how do we how do we make this real? Right. Again, the water <clears throat> will carve something slowly but surely right over time. And Virgo is much more direct in wanting to like enact something into reality. And so it's more often um, it, you know, it looks at the details. It says, OK, well, here's the first step, second step, third step, fourth step all the way to a billion steps if it's needed in order to get something done. And so, um, but Pisces is like, believes, right? Pisces has this belief. It's, it's got this just undying belief in the goodness of the intention, in the possibility of greatness in the vision of the ideal. And of course, sometimes this can cause friction, right? Because, you know, that Virgo opposition says, well, we have to be realistic. <laughs> and Pisces is like, mm, 
I mean, but like if you can have a really honest interaction between that Pisces and Virgo within yourself, because you have both, everyone does. It just depends on where it's at in your chart. And I put out every month in the, um, the astrology I write for the magical earth, a little graphic. And sometimes I share it on social media. Everyone is a Virgo or everyone is a Pisces or what have you, because everyone is every sign you have it in your chart. You are not, not a Scorpio, right? So lest you demonize whatever Scorpio, oh, I hate Scorpios, or I can't stand Pisces, or God, Capricorns, you have that in you. If you don't know where that is in you, you might be sabotaging yourself, playing like little saboteur, right? You might be um, harboring some kind of self-hatred or anxiety around one way of operation it's a blind spot and astrology actually can help you figure out well where is this part of myself acting out its you know uh desires acting out its creative impulses acting out its judgments acting out its uh, base needs, primal instincts, what have you. It's all in there. And so the opposition, um, even if you say have your sun sign in Virgo or sun, and wherever you've got your sun sign, you look across that wheel and it literally does not matter if you have no planets in there, no aspects in there. That archetype of the Zodiac is in you and it's acting out in some way. And if it's in opposition to your sun sign, guess what? Guess what? You know, like it is an agent. Is it an ally? Have you looked at its notes? Cause it's got opinions. Cause whenever, whenever the sun's in that opposing sign, or whenever, because when the sun's in the opposing sign, like right now, we're going to have a Virgo full moon soon during Pisces season or right before Pisces season, actually. So it's like, oh, during Pisces season, we're having a full moon in my sun sign. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are on a planet of polarities. And if you don't make friends with the polarity, it's going to get you. <laughs> it's going to get you. No, it's, it's, it's one of those where it's like, oh, I see you across the room. You know, it's unobstructed. It's literally right there to see. Now, sometimes there's other energies that are harder for us to see. Right? And we may have placements that help us interact with that energy. We might have, but the, the chart itself is a map of how you show up where and in what way comes naturally to you. And then maybe even through the aspects, you can also start to see how, you know, you're conflicted or you don't always have your best interest. 
I have not seen one chart in my years of reading that didn't present itself with some kind of critical error, right? As the brain of, of a human might say, it's a critical error. It's like when, when you're, you know, uh, doing feng shui, but you realize your house is facing, you know, your front door is facing north. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's a critical error. All of our charts kind of have something like that, where uh, two kinds of energies that are, at, at, you know, at odds to some degree are kind of warring with each other. But the war doesn't have to be internalized and in the dark. You can actually shed light on those opposing parts of yourself and start to then access you know, the parts of you that are good at negotiation and good at going with the flow and good at making plans that include everyone's opinions, right? And if that's not your strong suit, there's a part of your chart that'll help you figure that out too. That'll help you become a negotiator. That'll help you become an observer. That'll help you open your mind, right? I'm looking at you, Libra, but you know, when you look across the aisle, that Aries part of the self that just really wants what it wants, right? Both things live inside of you. That quiet and objective observer and that I need to assert myself because I am the most important person in this room. So... I wanted to, excuse me, drink my coffee, share that with you, and um, I'll let you listen to the interviews with my books. Um, I hope you have a beautiful day. For those of you who listened to this podcast already, um, yesterday was a different day, and I recorded something different, and it's lost forever, which is probably a beautiful way to just say... Happy retrograde, witches. May the force be with you. All right, on to the book portion of this podcast. So one of the things that I love to do in general is to read. I have to <laughs> admit that I don't always finish books and I will read often, you know, the first hundred pages and then um, basically refer back to them almost as if a reference text. So I have some books that I want to finish that I had never finished um, that I feel like are really important texts like Evolutionary um, Herbalism. Um, and that is a book that I mentioned quite a few podcasts back. It's definitely um, just a mind-blowing, heart-exploding um, look at a, a, like how herbalism can heal um, and the, the school of evolutionary 
herbalism also has a component of astrological herbalism that is very cool and very exciting. And I've taken a couple of workshops from their school and the author, um, Seja Popham, I believe that's how you say his name, um, and his wife, I believe, are just like the sweetest people. <laughs> and um, and Saja who, Seja, who wrote the book, it's just really beautiful writings of alchemy and herbology. So I highly recommend that book. But okay. And I'm going to take a picture and post it on Instagram. If you want to see pictures of all these books, um, I'm going to make a big several posts. I'll probably do a post per book because I want to um, encourage people to read, do their own research, listen to the minds that are kind of shaping these occult pieces today. And of course, most of these center around astrology and... Um, and God's goddesses. So um, that's where I'm at. Um, one of the references book reference books that I have always kept on hand since last spring is, or well, this time last year is when I found the book of houses through a friend in um, a friend in Moon Cycle Awareness, um, April McMurtry. There's a couple of podcasts I. I had her on my podcast, um, and she also had a conversation with me on her um, video podcast. So there's a couple of posts in my Instagram that you can find those conversations. And if you're interested in the moon cycle awareness, you can look at the moon is my calendar is one of the um, paint a goddess podcast episodes. Highly recommend that. But the book of houses is the basic... Um, book core book that we're using as basis for the astrologic lab. And this is because it presents the harvest cycle at like the 12 houses as a harvest cycle for human life. And when we look at astrology as a map for the cycles that we go through, be whether they are maturity cycles, uh, growth cycles, emotional cycles, you can track any planet through your house um, system in your in your natal chart and kind of feel into what's up for you right now. Just like I was mentioning around how you can look at where Mercury is going to retrograde, what houses those are in, and what reflections you might uh, entertain during that time in order to deepen the work that the cosmos are offering you during that time. And this is how astrology can be used to heal your shadows. It can be used to um, heighten your magic. It can be used to just be validating to yourself and like your dreams. It's really, really fantastic work, especially if you're somebody who has struggled with finding purpose or feeling really self-esteemed. I think that one of the ways that astrology can kind of influence us is to show us the the kind of whole sky that we are and validate some of the deep inner workings of our hearts and our minds and our spirit and the book of houses has been really beautiful um, in that regard so by Robert Cole and Paul Williams I also picked up a book 
that I have not opened really at all, but I came into um, the work of Stephen Arroyo through the my the, my local library. Um, they suggest books to me all the time in my library app, and one of them was Psychological Astrology. So Stephen Arroyo is, um, he holds an MA degree in psychology and the California State License in Marriage and Family Counseling, and for many years maintained a busy counseling practice. In addition, he has lectured at numerous international conferences and taught astrology and various healing arts at three different colleges. Internationally renowned as a pioneer of modern person-centered astrology, his books are extremely popular around the world, with translations now appearing in nine languages. This book um, and his other, Astrology, Psychology, and the Four Elements, which is what I read online um, or on my library app, um, are among the most highly acclaimed astrology books of modern times. In recognition of his leadership, he was presented the British Astrology Prize and the International Sun Award by the Fraternity of Canadian Astrologers. Um, I always think it's interesting when people get noticed like this, like I've never, I don't know, I had, I've been a writer in a past life. I mean, I'm a writer now, but like, I don't put my works out other than like maybe on Instagram. I have some followers and friends who are like, when are you going to write that book? I mean, it's locked in my fucking laptop. I don't know. Maybe when my kids have um, flown the coop, I suppose um, I might focus, choose to focus. I'm not using that as an excuse. I don't do that. But I've been, I have not chosen to focus on um, writing my magnum opus or even small opuses for that matter. My minimum opus. <laughs> Is that a word? Um, so I haven't dug into this book. This book is called Astrology, Karma, and Transformation and the Inner Dimensions of the Birth Chart. And so I'm curious to look at this um, from an astrological perspective and understand what where his thoughts are. Certainly, psychology is a huge pull for me when it comes to learning astrology. I started out when I was really young wanting to learn psychology. I actually did when I was in fifth grade, they asked you what you wanted to be. And um, I remember trying to figure that out and doing like, we had to do a project. And I can see in my mind still the cover for that uh, paper. And I would, it was so funny, like we always just had to write papers, right? But the big papers you know, there's something like 10 pages or something like that. And I have to type it out on an actual fucking typewriter, you guys, with correct. I mean, I had a my parents had a fancy typewriter by the time I was in fifth grade, which means that it was electric enough that if I had to backspace, it would auto correct it with correction tape. Right. And so I could keep typing. It was amazing. If you are of a certain age, you know, if you know, you know. But that technology was like really helpful. Anyway, so um, back then I wanted to either be a hair stylist or a psychologist. And which is funny because just like bartenders, um, hairstylists and many other <laughs> occupations end up being, you, you know, you can benefit from being a psychologist. Um, <laughs> 
so anyways, your liberal arts education will not go um, unused if you go into the service industry in any um, possible way. But um, or customer care. So I did use my psychology um, premise for, you know, I wanted to be a teacher once I was older. But anyways, when I was in fifth grade, so I decided on psychologist because um, I, th I don't know if I was talked out of saying hairdresser, but whatever reason, I knew I wanted to be someone who was creative, who always got to talk to people and who <laughs> there's always been a part of me who like loves to hear people's inner world and their secrets and understand how they tick. It's just something that I really have always loved to know and to be part and partial to. And the other thing is that from a very young age, everyone tells me their shit anyways. Like I'm not somebody that when you meet them, I, I don't think many people think like I shouldn't tell her. I, I mean, there's certainly been times in my life when I've probably violated somebody's privacy and those things I take very, very fucking seriously. And, um, you know, there's a lot of boundaries I have around my professional work, um, when I do readings and there isn't no way that I would share, um, intimate details unless, um, given consent, um, and even then, like, I would still probably not even, you know, say names. But, um, you know, as an astrologer, I'm privy to a lot of personal information. And I even in my own work try to make sure that that's not what's influencing um, my work going forward. So, for instance, if somebody gets a reading from me and then they get a reading later from me, I want to make sure that I'm being you know, fairly objective and not just commentating on their life as if I know what's best for them, right? Like, that's not my intention with this work. My intention with this work is to guide to self-awareness, to self-inquiry, to self-validation, right? It's not me giving permission, although I'm a big cheerleader when I do readings for people and I really want to you know, open them to the possibility that they are worth their dreams and all of the things. Because I think, like myself, many people have been talked out of their dreams and waste. We don't waste time. I mean, we spend a lot of time, though, wondering if what I'm doing is right and if I'm on the right track and all these things. Anyways, background. The fact that Stephen Arroyo wrote books from a psychologically astute perspective and he even coins the kind of astrology that is psychological right psychology and astrology being fused and one of his thesis statements in the book that I read um, the astrology psychology and the four elements um, he posits and makes the thesis that psychologists and counselors should maybe learn astrology as an extra tool to help their clients. Um, and I think this is a fantastic idea. And he posits that there's no greater holistic system of understanding the human psyche than astrology. And I would love to hear if somebody thinks that there is. Um, but the system of astrology, the 12 signs of the zodiac, the planetary archetypes, and the mythology around this and the way that we look at natal charts as a way to access the inner dimensions is a super beautiful way of looking at astrology. And I think it's really useful in, in applied astrology. 
um, to both the self and to others. And so I'm excited to read this book. I have not even cracked it open, but what I'm going to do is some bibliomancy for this podcast. So I'm going to take each of these books and I just decided this because that's how I roll. I'm going to open a book. Um, I'm going to, let's see, let's, what number? Page 111. I'll open page 111 on every one of these books. Um, and I will read the first paragraph that I see. Okay, this is interesting because this page even has a diagram of Mars and Mercury. So it's talking about Mars and Mercury and the flow of its um, aspects. So let's just read this um, and see if we gain anything from it. The challenging aspects show that the energies involved and thus the life dimensions of the individual whose chart has such an aspect do not vibrate in harmony. Rather, in, rather than reinforcing each other, they tend to interfere with each other's expression and to create stress within the energy field as if two waves were in discordant relationship to each other, setting up what one might call an unstable or irritating tone. So when that one sign is, um, when, when Mercury is one sign away, it's a semi-sextile. And semi-sextiles can be helpful in like giving you new perspective, but that's exactly right. So it's like, it's a new perspective. So if your sun sign is really rooted in one sign and then you've got Mercury in another just next to it, your mind might be able to see different perspectives and that can be definitely of benefit. But in some ways, you know, it's going to be very opposite in its energetic and expressive nature. So for instance, my sun sign is a mutable earth sign. My mercury sign is in a fixed fire sign. So that can create a certain dynamic of a person, right? I may not read so much like that grounded Virgo judgmental, maybe, maybe it exacerbates that, right? I'm extra judgy uh, because I also am very prideful about my ideas um, based on that Mercury in Leo placement. But just when you look at those, it would be interesting um, of a field study to look at just simply that one thing and say, does this affect people from a cognitive dissonance place? Like, do you often find these people that are a little more discontent? I know I have always questioned reality. I've always been somewhat of a skeptic. And I'm curious if that's indicative of having your Mercury in a different sign, usually one sign over from where my son's when you're where your sun sign is. Just a thought. You know, one of the reasons why I created the lab is because I love to ask, um, you know, questions like that and then just say, well, what's the data say? You know, what is can we say these things in absoluteness? And, and honestly, you know, astrology is an art, not a science per se. It's very much an artistry to weave together themes from the houses and the signs and the planets and and then the aspects and bring all of that together into a, a mythology, a story, a self mythology, a self story, right? And then, and then the challenge then, of course, 
from my Buddhist teaching perspective is how can we not attach that to the self in so we don't become so rigid that we, you know, become inhuman, right? Because the, the mutability of ourselves is super important for growth and for us to experience new realities and not think we understand what exactly is going on and, and instead be open to receiving new information in a way that allows us to change our minds, which I think is a really interesting thing about, you know, my my Mercury and Leo might might indicate that I am a very fixed mind, passionate person. But my mind is very flexible. And part of that maybe has to do with the fact that I'm a, I'm a Virgo sun and that's ruled by Mercury and I'm a Gemini rising and that's ruled by Mercury. And both of those signs are mutable. And my, my, um, one of my superpowers I think is being pretty flexible. In fact, I spent a lot of my, you know, empathic kind of existence, not really knowing how to show up. And it took me a lot of years before I realized I didn't need to change my hat for anyone in order to um, have connection with people, right? I could still just be myself and that I'm not for everyone and all of those things. I hope that made sense. Anyways, there's some bibliomancy from astrology, karma, and transformation. So just talking about aspects. All right. The book that I'm actually in the process of reading, and it's been blowing my mind. It's so good. Is by Demetra George and Douglas Bloch. Bloch. Um, so Demetra George is a astrologer and um, I, her, the back of the book doesn't say anything about her, um, which his really did. The, the Stephen Arroyo book totally did. But she wrote this book and um, it's called Asteroid Goddesses, The Mythology, Psychology, and Astrology of the Reemerging Feminine. And this is an updated version. It has ephemerides for 16 asteroids from 1930 to 2050. And when we look at this book, let me just, oh my God. Let me just tell you, this book is so feminist and beautiful. It's amazing. Um, okay, page 111. <laughs> Palace Venus Aspects. The mental creative principle combines with the feminine principle of love and sensuality. Since Venus is the goddess of beauty, this blend highlights the aesthetic qualities of Pallas Athene. Harmonious aspects indicate the ability to channel sexual energy into artistic expression. One's feminine sexual identity can also be integrated with outer world accomplishments. Because of the internal sexual balance that is present, the individual may be androgynous and experience ease in a variety of sexual interactions. There may be a desire to become an advocate and protector of women's equal rights. So this was this is just an, an excerpt from page 111 of Demetra George's Asteroid Goddesses. And it talks about this palace Venus aspects. And, the, and then she's mentioning too where 
this these two goddesses in aspect in your own chart if they are harmonious aspects may indicate that there's this ability to channel, channel sexual energy into artistic expression and i love looking at that i think again you know when we look at challenging versus um harmonious aspects it's still so up to the interpretation because even if you have a harmonious aspect say between um mars and mercury as um you know stephen arroyo's book mentioned mars and mercury well they have very different aims right and so even harmonious aspects can be maybe difficult to reconcile but when we look at these uh, venus and pallas athene aspects that may be true as well i think it's interesting to 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 look at how you're uh, what is what's the what am i trying to say when you have an internal understanding that is very aligned that is healed that is holistic right but it meets the outside world, say a patriarchal, <laughs> white supremacist, dictatorship, whatever. Say you live in a place where you live, and I'm not talking about America, okay? Because America, while it has racism and sexism and there's misogyny everywhere, um, women in this country have been afforded a great amount of freedom, even though they, we have a long way to go. But I'm talking about people who are literally in physical and economic restraint based on social norms and cultural norms. Um, oh, I mean, all of these things are hard to say. I can't say any of that resolutely because uh, it just confounds us all. Anyways, um, when we look at the harmonious aspects between two goddesses who have, again, um, you know, Pallas is known for her strategic warfare and Venus is known for her ability to um, create beauty and value. You put those two things together and all of a sudden you have, like she mentions, this sexual energy that can be created, um, channeled into artistic expression. But if that artistic expression is not received by the larger culture, um, in a way that's any way other than deviant, like if it's deemed deviant, and we can see this in history, right? We can see, um, you know, women and women artists or women, uh, you know, performance artists, sex workers, all seen as deviant or divergent um, from the norm, and they can be quite vilified. So I think it's interesting to put those aspects of your natal chart into context you're born in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and no matter how harmonious these aspects are, um, it can still cause you a bit of issue. Of course, um, well-behaved women never made history <laughs> comes to mind. Okay. So that is asteroid goddesses, the mythology, psychology, and astrology of the re-emerging feminine. Super amazing. Perfect book for winter time. I picked up this next book because um, it came up in, um, in like a, uh, suggestion because of what I normally purchase. And, um, it's called metaphysics of astrology by Ivan Antic. I thought that it looked like some kind of book of antiquity, right? But come to find out it was written and published or published at least in, 
London in 2020. <laughs> so really interesting and um, that it was actually a new book, but it's called Metaphysics of Astrology, Why Astrology Works. And I was like, oh, interesting. Someone wrote a book called like Why Astrology Works because I, you know, I want to know what do they think. So let's look at page 111 and that's cutting it close because 111 may not even exist in this book. It's a very short one and it does not. So um, this book goes up to page 107. <laughs> so let's do that. Let's read from there. Last paragraph of the book. Let's do it. He, okay. He is then freed from the destiny, but not in the sense that he is its quote master and is at liberty to do as he sees fit. Quite the contrary. He does not have a goal to strive for as there are no objects in his life because he is the goal of everything living. He is the final result of everything and accepts all beings with love as they are. He heals them in the sense of their existence by his sheer presence and kindness. Now with all of the loveliness that that's paragraph sentence two sentences three sentences is the pronouns just get me um and this whole book is written with he's um and that makes me want to um kill the messenger um but oh that was interesting i just turned to a page and it said something about individual karma of course we've been talking about karma in my closed behind closed doors a lot okay but so let's just change the pronouns they are then free from the destiny but not in the sense that they are its master as it and as that which always messes me up okay they are then free from the destiny but not in the sense that they are its master and is at liberty to do as they see fit Quite the contrary. They do not have a goal to strive for as there are no objects in their lives because he, they are the goal of everything living. They are the final result of everything and accept all beings with love as they are. They heal them in the sense of their existence by their sheer presence and kindness. So this is more of a fundamental theory of physical reality. And um, on the back, it says, unlike the majority of other books on astrology, we will not deal here with the teaching of the basic principles necessary for horoscope reading. Such books, good, both good and bad, are in abundance. We will deal with the fact as to why astrology works in the first place and how its original principles came about how the space-time of cosmos shapes within us into unknown existence, into planets, the life itself, and destiny. So I thought this was an interesting book. It's, it, it is, again, very short, about 107 pages. Really no forward or afterward. It's just, um, these are the chapters. Introduction, some basic facts and misconceptions, Anthrop um, anthropic principle and the formation of man, zodiac, planets or the psychodynamics of time space, destiny resides in the matter, 
freedom resides in the soul. So those are the, what, six chapters after the introduction. So kind of a philosophical read, kind of a, you know, theoristic book. Thought it was interesting. All right. The next one I'm kind of excited about. I started reading it in my library app because it came up again as something to consider. And I, I borrowed the book and I started reading it. And then I was like, oh, I just need this as a reference because the library is going to make me give it back. And, um, oh, I have a signed copy even. That's cool. Um, I bought it from a used bookseller online and it's called Celestial Wisdom for Every Year of Your Life. Discover the Hidden Meaning of Your Life. And it's by Z. Budapest and Diana L. Paxson. And basically every year of your life, it says what you should be thinking about, what are the cycles. And so it kind of, um, it, co it integrates and collates all of the different cycles, say the 29 to 30 year Saturn cycle, the 18 year lunar node cycle, the 12 year Jupiter cycle, um, the Uranus opposition cycle, the Pluto squares and oppositions that are all kind of coagulating in our charts as we grow older and then it has at least I assume that's what it does to be honest um, and then it really just talks about these different stages in your life um, it has ages in um, kind of epochs and then it has ages every year right so it's like ages one to ten first flowering I'll just read the let's see let's read the table of contents Introduction, birth and before, beginning the journey, ages 1 to 10, first flowering, ages 11 to 20, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, uh-huh, ages 21 to 30, brave new world, ages 31 to 40, carousel, ages 41 to 50, that's where I'm at, crisis and crown, ages 51 to 60, the age of sovereignty, Ages 61 to 70, older or elder. 71 to 80, the secret country. And 81 to 90 and beyond, the age of enlightenment. Then there's an afterword, a, a glossary, and some resources. So I love this as, you know, kind of just a book that you might have in your library. And um, I intend to use it and um, have used it um, for, you know, I'm in my 42nd year on this earth and I'm um, interested in looking at it in correlation with some of the work we've been doing in the lab with the Jupiter cycles and the Saturn cycles specifically, but also just other years that really felt really potent for me and looking at what was happening astrologically perhaps in those times. So I'm going to turn though to page 111 and just see where serendipity brings to me. So this is um, 40, year 40. So, and, and overall it's ages 31 to 40. So it's the last year of 40 um, or last year of that kind of epoch. And page 111 begins with um, the middle of a um, paragraph. Let me look at, so there's a ritual for this decade. Okay, so each decade seems to have a ritual, which I love. And that's one of the reasons I was like, okay, I need, just need this book. So the ritual for the decade of 40, moving forward. 
um, or pay, perhaps closing it out. It says, um, okay, cleanse the space where you will be working by sweeping counterclockwise, smudging with sage, and making any other preparations you wish. Sit down in front of your altar in a balanced and comfortable position. Breathe slowly and deeply, seeking your center, extending awareness of your con connection with the earth below. If you are working with others, ask, why have you come here? Then you, or each of you, states what the problem is. Light the first black candle, say, this is what has been. Describe the aspects of the hazard. After each statement, describe the desired change. For example, the waters are dirty, let them be clean. Where, oh, where waters are dirty, let them be clean. Where waters are opaque, let them run clear. Where waters are turgid, let them swiftly flow. And so forth. Keep repeating these affirmations, building in intensity and climaxing with the refrain, Lady, bring the change we or I see. As we, I, will, so mote it be. So it's kind of witchy, right? <laughs> I love it. Um, when you have finished, take a deep breath and light the green candle. Say, that is what shall be. So, and then it goes on to, to say what the meditation will be. So essentially, it offers, um, it says, you know, like 40 um, <laughs> the first the first sentence for the 40 if you can't trust anything anyone over 30 40 is unthinkable you are 30 something forever and then suddenly it's the big 40 this is i mean there's commentary which i i assume is pretty societally trite uh, involved in this but um it also goes a little deeper um and the, yeah, so it talks about the pressure to seek meaning in your life increases as Uranus, the great changer, opposes its natal position in your chart around 40, which I just put out the Uranus content. And I had always thought as soon as I learned about Chiron and that Chiron returns at 50, I thought, oh, this is the midlife crisis. Um, and of course, you know, thinking Uranus as being one of the really outer planets and and whatever doesn't really impact too hugely, but Uranus does make an opposition, um, 40 years through, right? So Uranus is in Taurus right now. And so those of us born with Uranus in Scorpio, which there's a great deal of us in that generation are experiencing that opposition, that natal opposition of Uranus. And, Uranus spends quite a bit of time, nearly a, you know, a decade in each sign. So there's certainly time to kind of mull over this midlife crisis and what that means for you specifically. So it's interesting to continue that work and understand the midlife crises through these different cycles, um, guided by this astrologic, you know, field study that I have committed myself to. All right, so that's Celestial Wisdom for Every Year of Your Life by Z Budapest and Diana Paxson. The next book that I bought for this winter that I have not at all opened, other than I did open it in the library app as well, and this is how I found this book. It was suggested to me, and um, it's called Pagan Astrology by Raven Caldera, Spellcasting, Love Magic, and Shamanic Stargazing. Now, 
when I first um, thought of this book, of course, like these are two beautiful ways that I kind of express myself and my spirituality is through astrology and through being a pagan, you know, connected to nature, that kind of thing. So this book really intrigued me. Um, when I looked at it in the app, I was like, yes, again, I need this book as a reference material because it definitely has all these associations and these really witchy ways of looking into, um, your own magic. And, um, as I've been, you know, I just created a lunar ritual kit for the lab and, um, moon magic for astrologic, which is, it's really basically using, um, the, the ideas of transit astrology to track your new moons and full moons um, I offer a new moon and a full moon ritual, a personal ritual, basically, for each phase of that, you know, the new moon and the full moon. And then by using the Book of Houses, I kind of wrote up my own um, similar but witchier versions of what kinds of inquiries or things you might do during um, a full, you know, a, a full moon or, or a new moon based on that house structure. So um, that's free in the lab. And I'm super excited to put that up. I just finished it yesterday. And then now, of course, I look at this book and I'm like, oh, yeah, it could be referenced for that. But I didn't really read this book before doing that. So I have not opened it really at all. I just, like I said, I looked at it and I had so many books in my library app that um, I didn't have time to really read that I ordered a bunch of them instead so that I could have them in my personal library. And so this book basically has all these beautiful um, magical prescriptions here. Let's read the, I'll read the table of contents. It's quite longer. It's a big, good book. It's a beautiful book. Um, pagan astrology combines the practical and easy to understand overview of the basics of Western astrology with techniques and ideas to build astrological altars, work rituals, and perform magic using the unique forces and qualities of the astrological signs. Astrologers will particularly appreciate the magical prescriptions to counteract the energies of afflicted planets. This is a book that could grace the shelf of any student of the planetary mysteries. Um, that is a review by Ellen Everett Hopman, author of Druids Herbal and the Sacred Tree Medicine. So this is the table of contents. Um, <laughs> so funny. Author's note regarding planet Pluto. Just, you know, author's note. We need to talk about Pluto. Um, introduction, stars and stones, part one, charts, deciphering a chart for beginners to using your chart for astrologers, part two, planets in motion. So chapter three, planetary gifts, four, moon magic, five, mercury magic, six, Venus magic, seven, Mars magic, eight, Jupiter magic, nine, Saturn magic, 10, Uranus magic, 11, Neptune magic, and 12, Pluto magic, which by the way is into the darkness. Um, part three, magical prescriptions, tools, holidays, altars, and practices. So chapter 13, the astrology of magical tools, 14, the astrology of pagan holidays, 15 planetary altars, 16 magical prescriptions for Westerners and 17 planetary hours, shortcuts to scheduling. So it really talks about and goes through all sorts of beautiful things. I love it. Let's look at page 111. Again, going back to the Bibliomancy. Page 111, Jupiter in Libra. 
So interesting. Okay. I'll just begin this because it begins at the top of the page and it's in the chapter of Jupiter magic. So Jupiter and Libra, Jupiter in Libra has a dual gift. The scales have two sides and each side has a particular gift, but there's a catch. Jupiter and Libra can use only one gift at a time, and the two are often mutually exclusive. There's a distinct possibility, in fact, that the use of one gift will destroy the presence of the other. One Libra gift is the laying on of justice. The other is the laying on of harmony. When Libra lays on justice, usually with a few well-placed words, as this as is an air sign, all the subtle unfairness bubble to the surface. All the, un, uh, all the subtle unfairnesses bubble to the surface. Sometimes people put up with a bad situation because they've convinced themselves that this is just the way it is. Libra's justice spell makes them suddenly sit up and decide not to take it anymore. The great thing about this gift is that after all the dust settles, things are generally fairer and more above board. The problem is what kicks up all that dust. The gift of justice creates arguments, lots of arguments. It's the way that justice injustices are addressed. People don't just suddenly sit up and say, wow, I'm going to be perfectly fair to everyone I meet today. Jupiter in Libra's spell does make people more willing to listen and be open to someone else's perspective, but it doesn't mean that they won't have differences of opinions. In fact, it's quite fair to argue that One's differences of opinions, this means, however, that the turmoil can go on for a long time. That's interesting because Jupiter is, you know, is in Aquarius now. Um, it's been quite some time since Jupiter was in Libra. Um, in fact, Jupiter was in Libra then how many years ago? If it's in... Let's just look quickly, not really knowing for sure. But if Jupiter went into Aquarius last time in 2009, I mean, it's basically Jupiter moves a year each. Um, oh, um, a whole wheel of the year each year. And so by just by looking at the Zodiac wheel, and counting backwards, and for whatever reason, my mind isn't able to conjure it right now, so I have to look at the actual. So if we're looking at one, two, three, four, so four years ago, <laughs> uh, you guys, all right, well, I have nothing more to say about that. I was trying to keep this, you know. Four years ago, Inauguration Day was very different, wasn't it? It was when we marched. It was the largest march. Um, completely peaceful. All right. I'm not going to cry. Okay. The next book. Thank you, Raven Caldera, for Pagan Astrology, Spellcasting, Love Magic, and Shamanic Stargazing. Love it. Very excited. The next book that I have um, 
pulled into my library is called Mysteries of the Dark Moon. This is also by Demetra George. Um, the Asteroids, the Asteroid Goddesses book was recommended to me by a lab member and dear friend, Miss Laura Looney. Um, I love you. You're amazing. And um, then I was like, the book, you know, then it was like, oh, well, you, if you have this book, you must get this book. And I think that Laura may also have this book. But Demetra George has, you know, definitely this feminist um, perspective, uh, humanist perspective, because we all have both feminine and masculine within us. So she's just like creating the balance. But the D Mysteries of the Dark Moon, the healing power of the dark goddess. Um this, let's see, exploring the mystery, wisdom, and power of the dark phase of the moon cycle, Mysteries of the Dark Goddess, presents a lunar-based model for moving through the dark times in our lives with understanding, consciousness, and faith in renewal. <clears throat> and really, like, the moon work that brought me into a spiritual practice with the moon, with astrology, as I grew older, right? Like, I was always into astrology. It was never part of a spiritual practice for me. I never really, until... Um, probably 2015, um, really started to cycle with the moon and, and recognizing that the moon's moving through every sign every few days and there's this shift in emotional weather and that this is all kind of part of it. And then, of course, I found the Wild Woman Project, um, which has circles based on the new moon and full moon cycles and um, and have been cycling for with with that content for five years. So since about 2016. And so, you know, this began for me right after, definitely after I gave birth to my daughter, after I came out of that bubble, um, recognizing that I wanted to be, um, more in tune with the natural cycles that were happening within my body, without my body, um, in the body of the collective and coming to this mysteries of the dark moon place was absolutely natural for me. So if you're feeling called to, to look into this, this is a beautiful, um, book. Um, I've read a little bit of the first few pages, but I have not really gotten through it yet. I, I like picked it up and put it down cause I was like, okay, winter time. Part of this is me. Like, I don't know how I'm going to read all these books, but I definitely need to, I should probably be reading these books instead of doing this podcast, but <laughs> whatever. I don't shit on myself. Don't, don't you do it either. So contents part one, revisioning the dark one, the dark moon Two, the dark goddess three, a loner, her story of the feminine, beautiful part two goddesses of the dark moon. Um, so chapter four, Nick's the goddess of night and the daughters of night five, the serpent haired queen Medusa six, the dark maid Lilith. Okay. And then part three rites of rebirth chapter seven, the dark goddess and the muse of menstruation and menopause eight, the initiation mysteries of Demeter, Demeter and Persephone Demeter um, nine, the healing power of the lunar darkness. Love it so much. Page 111 is like the first page of part two, which is Goddesses of the Dark Moon. The Guardians of the Unconscious. 
In part two, we will turn our attention to the mythological tales of goddesses who are associated with the dark of the moon and who express the dark moon archetype. We will explore the mythical biographies of Nyx, mother of night, and her daughters, the fates, the furies, the Hesperides, and the nemesis. And nemesis. This will be followed by a look at three other dark goddesses, Hecate, Lilith, and Medusa. In the process, we will try to see how other how their timeless stories are relevant to the kinds of issues operating primarily in the unconscious that continue to confront men and women today. <sighs> Mic drop. Now I need to go just read this book because this feels really alive in me right now. The darkness that we have denied has become, you know, deviant and projected onto seeming others. And until we truly go within and embrace the darkness within ourselves, just as the moon and these dark goddesses have been teaching within their mysteries and their mythologies, I don't know how well we can heal because darkness is part of everything. So with that being said, I have one last book. One last book that I want to share with you guys. And this is one that I bought because there was, um, of course, the Book of Houses um, with the Astrologic Lab being so focused on these house structures. And certainly transit astrology for me has really deepened that transiting transitory that's interesting right transiting these transiting planets that go through my chart go through my first second third fourth house all that stuff that I'm paying attention to the fact that Jupiter is moving through my ninth house right now is important to me is something that I'm paying attention to is um, indicative of the place in my journey that I'm at and has given me a lot to consider and think about. So Dane Ruddier is one of the, um, you know, he is, I mean, let's, let's just read his bio on the back of his book. Dane Ruddier, um, 1895 to 1985, which is like this beautiful thing that astrologers must love. That's great. Um, was the most important and influential astrologer of the 20th century, introducing reforms to the ancient practice many practitioners and writers today take for granted. Ruddier, a prolific astrological writer, contributed more than 20 books and almost a thousand articles to modern astrology. Now, whenever somebody says they're the most important, like, okay, cool. I... <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I would have loved to fuck. Can you imagine? I'm sure I would have loved to have a conversation with Dane Ruddier. I have not read a ton of his work. And this book um, is quite small. It's not, it, it has 111 pages, so we'll read from that page. Um, but it's certainly not a huge book. It's called, the this book, he's written obviously a lot, but this one is called The, Ast the Twelve Astrological Houses, the way of creative accomplishment. So again, re coming back to this thought that we create in a steady build and a spiraling upward and downward as 
all these planets and the sun transit through our natal chart year after year, year after year, year after year, and aspect each other in different houses and, and, and different things. And, you know, especially when you look at the moon, and one of the things that Demetra George actually talks about in, in some of her workshops and whatnot are the 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 kind of larger cycles of the moon, right? Like there are and, and any any planet's going to, if you live long enough, you're going to hear an echo. You're going to have an echo of the same kind of aspects and placements. It's much like a return. Um, but there's these larger cycles at play um, and that it's, it's, it's useful to pay attention to them. And I, you know, like I said, I, I, whenever anybody calls themselves the most important person in the room, I always, there's something deep within me that just seethes at that comment, but um, obviously his contributions to astrology through just the, me the, the quantity of the work and he is quite a revered, um, our astrologer. So I assume, even though I have not read many of his books or any of his books, really, I've read a couple of articles, um, that his qu quality is quite done well as well. So let's go to 111. Let's see how he writes. Okay, 111 starts a paragraph, so I'm just going to start and I'll read this full paragraph. Again, this is from the, astro the 12 Astrological Houses, The Way of Creative Accomplishment. The symbolism presented by the circle of houses in the birth chart gives a very significant answer to these questions, which have become so acute in our contemporary world. The answer is that there are two kinds of groups or collectivities. Yes, collectivities. And these correspond to the two kinds of power which have been analyzed and defined. As the biological offshoot of the human species and of a particular racial or national type, as the passive in inheritor of social cultural traditions and images, a person is an unconscious participant in a group, and there is obviously nothing contractual, free, or individual about this participation, which, from the point of view of the most spiritual individual, is really a prenatal condition. Alas, most human beings today remain through their entire lives in such a condition. They do live, if not for the state than for the purpose set by a national, cultural, religious, and family tradition of which they are merely exemplars or specimens. Well, I really like that. <laughs> yes, that's true, Mr. Ruddier. Um, I need to go back because he actually puts together the basic problem. The basic problem with conf which confronts us as we approach the realm of human experience represented by the 10th house, so he's talking about the 10th house, is that of giving a definite character to the relationship between the individual and the group or collectivity. Is the individual to live mainly or solely for the sake of the state? Or is the state the creation of a collective of free individuals? Does the legal fiction... Legal fiction is really good. Of a social contract or covenant between individuals at the beginning of a state correspond to anything fundamental or is it merely a product of abstract idealism? 
Yeah, this is some, you know, this is some psychological shit. And I will say that Stephen Arroyo talks about Dane Ruddier. He was a student of Dane Ruddier's work. And so, you know, of course, you know, as and as any self-respecting astrologer, maybe I should probably give more love to Dane Ruddier, but I, I've just fallen in love with his analytical shit. I want to know what his chart is before too long. So I'll be looking that up post haste. Um, yes. The actually, so those, all those books, um, are the astrological books that I have acquired over this winter. I hope you enjoyed that little, um, rabbit hole of a dive. If you're interested in any of these books or want to, um, consider any of them, I'm going to, um, post them in my, uh, feed on my Instagram at painted goddess. You can come check them out. Um, I may, I'll probably put them in the show notes as well. So if you're really interested in just doing that and not coming to see me on Instagram, um, then I won't take that personally whatsoever because you are in charge of yourself and your willingness or not to be on Instagram at all. And as social media becomes a very like a dumpster fire of integrity, then, you know, we will all make our decisions, but I love you. I hope that you're well. Um, I hope that you are seething with joy and in, in, in an, unimaginable sense of hope in these dark times and if you care to reach out I would love to hear from you and if you've benefited from this podcast at all please consider rate reviewing or subscribing it helps the algorithm monsters find other witchy astrologically leaning ears just like yours to find my work and it's very very much appreciated and a big um, support for this. Uh, these podcasts are offered freely and all your support does help. If you're interested in working with me further, like I mentioned, the Astrologic Lab is open and waiting for you to join us and nerd out every month about our own natal charts and comment on each other's in our group classes. I will talk to you soon. Don't forget, you're powerful as fuck. I don't want to see anybody forgetting that. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast or benefited from it, please share it with your friends. Or you could do me the honor of a rate and a review and a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps the algorithm find other witchy folks just like you. Please come and join me on Instagram. It's where I hang out most, at Painted Goddess. I go live every Tuesday with my dear friend, Marilyn, High Priestess. And if you're interested in the lab, go to paintedgoddess.com slash learn dash astrology. See you soon. And don't forget, you're powerful as fuck. <laughs>